Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome into episode 63 of Kayfabe Council, the show where we review and critique news topics and segments in the world of professional wrestling. My name is Pretty Tony, and my co-host TF Joker would normally be here with me. However, Joker is on vacation, so your old pal PT is flying solo this episode. Not to worry though, we're still going to bring you the same analysis you're used to. That this episode is looking at what happened at SummerSlam. My plan is to bring you a quick recap of the events and provide you with my impressions of the matches, the spots, and the overall story presented. Also, try to bring up multiple points of view so we can still have a discussion in the comments below. So, with that, I appreciate you all for listening and watching, and let's kind of get this thing started. As a reminder, you can find us in video form at youtube.com slash kfabecouncil and in audio form wherever you get your podcasts from. On this week's episode, we look at the fallout from SummerSlam. So, coming up first. The fallout from SummerSlam. So your old pal PT, having freshly watched the show, on the Saturday here, lots of things to go over, so we'll jump right in with the first match. The opening match on the card sees Logan Paul taking on Ricochet. The high-paced beginning to the match with numerous leapfrog spots from Paul. Logan hits a neckbreaker on Ricochet on the apron that looked absolutely brutal. Paul then hits a running power slam on Ricochet with commentary alluding that's a shot at Ricochet's tag partner, Ron Strowman. Logan then hits the Trinity Fatu split leg drop, which is supposed to be an homage to Hulk Hogan, but that's really more of a Trinity Fatu thing. It is what it is. I saw what I saw. And then Ricochet responds with a people's moonsault. Followed up, Ricochet sells a great back body drop that looked crazy intense. Thank God nobody was hurt on that. A Spanish fly on the outside look rough on the landing of those two gentlemen. Logan proceeds to hit a buckshot lariat to the outside on Ricochet. Man, I gotta give this kid credit. He's very athletic. Ball hit a smooth, high crossbody into a standing moonsault. So, gotta give the kid credit there once again. Ricochet gets Logan on the top rope. It's a swinging net breaker, which is absolutely crazy for those two to be able to hit that. Ball hits a backflip off the middle rope into a tornado DDT. Ricochet goes for a shooting star press, but Logan gets the knees up. Ball hits a nice springboard frog splash for a two. The finish sees Ricochet go for and misses a 630. One of Logan Paul's friends comes to ringside, puts brass knuckles on his hand, and Logan lands a loaded right hand on Ricochet and gets the pinfall in 18 minutes. All around smooth match from both men. When you go for as many spots as they did, you may expect some stumbles along the way. However, this match was just high energy. The crowd was into it. Lots of impactful spots. You really get the sense that both men had something to prove with this effort they put in tonight. In a tweet from WrestleVotes, 
They state, in preparation for tonight's match, they're told Logan Paul and Ricochet put in a dual training session together at the PC on August 1st. They have placed high expectations on themselves for a, quote, viral moment tonight on SummerSlam. You know, it's crazy to think that these guys just went for broke and did it, especially with Logan not being very tenured. And I have to give a lot of credit to Ricochet for being able to work with Logan and get an all-around just solid match out of himself being a relative rookie, to be fair. So kudos on Ricochet right there. And there were reports coming out that Ricochet and Logan Paul went on first so that Logan can hop on a plane right after the match to fly to Dallas for his brother Jake's fight against Nate Diaz. Not sure if Logan was able to make it, but it had a hell of a match, and hopefully he was able to see his brother fight. As far as what we're going to see from both men going forward, what's next for them? Honestly, I hope Ricochet is able to be featured on Raw going forward. Uh, not sure where he goes from here, to be honest. We already had him challenge Gunther for the Intercontinental Championship last year, from which Gunther won the Intercontinental Championship from Ricochet, but he ended up losing that encounter, so it wouldn't be good for Ricochet to potentially have another loss to Gunther, so all in all, let's just keep him on Raw, have matches, let's just keep being featured there. In terms of Logan Paul, most likely be off WWE television for a bit. There's a chance we may get an appearance to set up a random match at the Saudi pay-per-view in November. But honestly, with the sketchy nature of the victory, we could honestly run it back between Ricochet and Paul. But be that as it may, with limited appearances that Logan has, from his busy schedule to possibly what his contract dictates, they may want to feature Logan himself against someone else, so the possibility is there. But either way, I'd be okay with another match from these two. It was very, very exciting. Crowd was into it. Just a solid match and great effort from both of these men all around. The next match on the card, Cody Rhodes versus Brock Lesnar, one of your four featured main events, of course. Both men coming in 1-1 tied the series up, so this is the rubber match between the two. Great reception for Cody in Detroit. Detroit is loving them some American Nightmare. But in terms of the match, Cody coming hot out of the gate, blindsiding Lesnar. But Brock hits him with a German suplex to cut him off. Cody comes back with a drop-down punch, two disaster kicks, goes for a Cody cutter, but gets cut off in midair by Lesnar, who just shoves him clean out of the air. Cody shoots for a double leg, but Brock just picks him up and tosses him aside. Just got that gut wrench, raw power from Brock right there. Lesnar punishes Cody with an overhead suplex and a shot to the ribs. Brock hits three more German suplexes, and it's taking a rough toll on Cody at the moment, with Brock screaming for Cody to save himself. Brock yells at Cody. This is only going to get worse. Brock then throws Cody to the outside numerous times for a count out. But Cody can't lose that way and continues to make it back into the ring in the path of the Beast Incarnate. 
Lesnar gets frustrated and then subsequently F5s Cody on the outside. Cody back in the ring gets some punches in, but Brock hits another German suplex. I've lost count at this point. An anger-filled Lesnar F5s Cody through the announce table. The first of multiple times the announce table will be taken out during tonight's event. Cody once again makes it back into the ring just barely, beating the 10 count, and Lesnar cannot believe it. He is beside himself. Defiant Cody uses the ropes to help him up. Lesnar goes for another German suplex, grabbing him by the waist, and Cody rips off the turnbuckle while trying to fight out of that waist lock. Cody drives Brock into the ring post twice and hits him with some seal steps. I had an interesting notion that the referee might let this one go, although this was a normal singles match. Of course, we have a stipulation that match later on in the evening. The referee did let some of these things go, so we got a little bit of outside plunder here. Back in the ring, Cody nails the disaster kick and lands a Cody cutter. He then hits a nice-looking top rope Cody cutter, but only gets a two on Lesnar. Cody tries for a crossroads, but gets trapped in a Kimura lock. After a long time, Cody eventually makes it to the ropes for the break. Brock then goes for an F5. Cody slips out and pushes Lesnar into the exposed turnbuckle. Cody surprisingly gets Brock into a Kimura lock himself. Lesnar is able to pick Cody up and drive him into the mat to break the hold. The finish sees Brock go for another F5. Cody slips out and proceeds to hit three consecutive crossroads on Lesnar to score the pinfall victory in 17 minutes, 50 seconds. Post-match, we see a respect spot after, with Brock shaking Cody's hand, giving him a hug, and raising his arm in victory. You expect nothing less from a Brock Lesnar match. You're going to see suplexes. You're going to see F5s, a Kimura or two. The story of this match itself was very much Cody in a superhero mode of sorts, taking a lot of punishment, but always finding the strength to carry on. If we look at what Cody overcame in terms of suplexes, he came just taking the punishment, taking suplexes for days, an F5 through a table, a Kimura lock, and he still couldn't keep Cody down. Honestly, this was just a solid effort from both men. Uh, in getting Cody some momentum back and looking really strong after his defeat to Roman at WrestleMania. They don't give two victories over Brock Lesnar to just anyone, so they definitely give Cody a bit more of a rub and give him some momentum going forward. Rhodes was already seen as a top babyface in WWE with his victory over Brock and Brock showing him respect. Honestly, any doubters to the fact that Cody had gained some of that momentum back from WrestleMania has to be put to bed. You have to look at that and say, they are pushing him to the moon, baby. But once again, solid match between both men. Brock gave Cody a good amount of offense. Had they gone perhaps maybe one more spot of Rhodes trying to get back into the ring after taking, honestly, like a brutal amount of punishment. 
most likely would have been one spot too many. But to only do it about three times probably was enough. You don't want the fans turning on the match. You don't want the fans turning on Cody or let alone turning on Brock. Brock doesn't care. You don't want them to potentially turn on your baby face when he's taking an unrealistic amount of punishment and he overcomes that. So there's a limit to how much Cody can overtake, honestly. But for what's next in terms of these men's future. So for Cody, he can look to have another feud with a heel. Joker and I were thinking and discussing in a previous episode that it perhaps it could be Bronson Reed, the mountain of a man who's looking to make an impact, possibly by attacking Cody Rhodes, which in turn could also be good for Bronson's stock to feud with Cody, so perhaps it's a win-win. It'd certainly elevate Bronson Reed and give Cody another heel to work with, another monster to defeat and challenge. Could be something that Cody might be down for to help uh, work with Bronson. Definitely like to see Bronson doing more things. Especially after the documentary that just came out on Rhodes. He stated that his dream was to hold the WWE Championship, the championship that his father never got a chance to hold. So having him face the World Heavyweight Champion would not make the most sense right now. He wants the title that Roman Reigns has. So we'll have to find a path for him to circle back to Roman and that WWE Championship, which is now the undisputed WWE Universal Championship. So something like maybe at Elimination Chamber where Cody qualifies and he can face Roman or the champion at the time at WrestleMania could be a good way for him to be able to do that. Might work out on all fronts. And Brock, honestly... Brock's going to be off for a while. You have to look at it that way, right? He's worked a lot of pay-per-views this year so far, perhaps only missing one or two. Uh, it seems it for Brock for the year until making a return, honestly, at the Royal Rumble. Seems like that would make the most sense for Brock. But all in all, good performance out of this one. This was just a beautiful disaster to watch. Next matchup we're going to look at here. The Slim Jim SummerSlam Battle Royale. So this one started with The Miz making his entrance. And as I got a chance to look in the ring, and we get a sweeping pan shot of the wrestlers already in there. But in the back, I ended up spotting United States champion Austin Theory. Man, what happened to this guy? Among other people as well, men and women, let's be honest, of what's going on in the wrestling world right at the moment, this kid didn't get a chance to defend his championship at SummerSlam. He didn't have a scheduled match. He then gets put into this match basically unannounced and finally doesn't even get an entrance. Honestly, this really doesn't bode well for Theory. Some fans have been critical that Theory really hasn't had much since defeating John Cena at WrestleMania. And to be fair, I'd be hard-pressed to think of a match or a notable feud since then for Theory. I mean, he's been more recently trying to fight off Santos Escobar, which he will end up defending his title against, but really, I can't think of anything else, to be honest. So in a match with seemingly nothing on the line, it's not a good look for Theory to be in there, so I don't know what's going on. I mean... 
he's probably good match or good feud or maybe just changing up the gimmick a little bit away from getting back on track. I don't know what that is, but hopefully they can figure that out. Uh, it's just one of those things that hopefully it's either him or the championship. Let's figure out a way to get them both featured. LA Knight gets a huge reaction from the live crowd during his entrance. You love to see that. Surprise entrance Omos dominates early, eliminating Apollo Crews, JD McDonough, and Rick Boogs before the Brawling Brutes and the Alpha Academy gang up on him. This was your standard fare in terms of a battle royale, to be honest. Alright, just guys hanging out on the ropes waiting for their spots for elimination. Of note, Chad Gable skins the cat from the apron. On the outside, grabs Ludwig Kaiser by the head and eliminates him. Very nice, very smooth, really cool elimination. Butch and Riddle put dual Kimuras on Omos. He just lifts both men up and dumps them on the outside. That's a really great visual for Omos right there. But then we end up getting the end. We're almost there. We get a parade of shots on Omos, culminating with a phenomenal forearm from his former tag team partner, AJ Styles. This leads to the entire field to work together to eliminate Omos, helping Omos look strong even though he didn't win this match. So a decent showing from him in all things considered. We get down to the final three, AJ, Sheamus, and LA Knight. AJ was loading up for a phenomenal forearm, but Karrion Cross, the man AJ eliminated earlier on, grabs his foot, which gives Sheamus the opportunity to bro-kick AJ off the apron. After Knight hits the elbow on Sheamus, he goes for a blunt force trauma on Sheamus, but gets blocked into a stiff-looking knee. Knight is also able to wiggle free from a Celtic cross, dumps Sheamus to the apron. With Sheamus on the top rope, Knight leaps to the top and hits the overhead belly-to-belly -belly suplex. Perhaps that was the spot that we were trying to go for on the previous night on SmackDown but we were able to see it here on the pay-per-view itself. The finish sees LA Knight clothesline Sheamus over the top rope to win the Slim Jim Battle Royal in 11.55. Nothing very notable in this match. We saw the continuation of multiple feuds with people going on and people going after one another, like the likes of uh, Karrion Cross and AJ Styles, so... Although we did get a huge pop for LA Knight winning there, which is great to see. I was concerned that LA Knight was not going to win this match. The previous night on SmackDown, he won a singles match against Sheamus. And WWE tradition forebodes that if you win a match on the go-home show before the pay-per-view, you more often than not are not going to win and you're going to lose at the big show. This one, SummerSlam. It's an old adage that WWE does give the person a win before they take a loss at the pay-per-view to salvage some of that momentum that they probably will lose in losing at the pay-per-view. But shockingly, LA Knight won on SmackDown, and he won here at the Battle Royal. I don't know what he won exactly, but he won that prestigious and historical Slim Jim Battle Royale. Honestly, with nothing on the line, I'm not sure what's next for LA Knight. Personally, I'd like to see WWE continue to push him. He got some wins under his belt. The guy has been a top merch sale. He's getting insane reactions from the crowd. 
perhaps after Austin Theory and Santos Escobar are done feuding over the United States Championship, we can have LA Knight have a shot at the belt. Maybe that could be a really good thing for him, perhaps. Maybe even winning the title. Just saying. That would give Knight a run with the belt and allow Theory to move on and feud with someone else, perhaps. So maybe with the championship switching hands, it might be good for both men to have that opportunity. Be that as it may, I thought it was fun. It's kind of your standard fare, much like I mentioned. Nothing really gained, nothing really lost. So kudos on Slim Jim and WWE for getting that money, baby. Sponsored match. So from what we were reading, that Slim Jim is having a just long-term plan with WWE, so we might see something at the Survivor Series, perhaps at Royal Rumble, who knows, but hey, I mean, WWE can get that money, can get it, man, but we're gonna perhaps see some more sponsored matches from Slim Jim going forward. The next match we're going to look at here, Shayna Baszler versus Ronda Rousey in an MMA rules match. As I mentioned in a previous episode about how I would like to see the presentation look different for this match, I'm really glad WWE took note and listened to me. Having Ronda come out in her fight gear and then both women wearing gloves was a really cool change of the presentation. Also having the referee, Sean Bennett, go over the rules with both women was also a nice touch. And they're really playing up the MMA vibe here, having no rope breaks and only winning by submission or knockout. As for the match itself, it started with some sparring shots and Ronda backing Shayna up to the ropes looking for a takedown. As I was watching the beginning portions of the match itself, I noticed that the crowd was pretty quiet at this point. Perhaps they aren't sure what to make of the opening salvo, but it's quite different from the previous three matches that we had seen on the show so far, so, you know, there's always hope for it. We're, uh, it's just starting out, so it's a little something different. Not like we're going for Brawl for All, brother, but these are actually two women who can fight, so we'll see how it continues going through. Both women make it to the ground looking to go for submissions, but end up with a clean break, making it back to their feet, so they get back to the standing position. Jana hits a high kick, which rocks Rhonda, having Rhonda herself roll to the outside. Once she gets back in the ring, Rhonda ends up hitting a step-up knee that rocks Shayna. So afterwards, Rhonda locks in a leg triangle and a simultaneous Kimura. Shayna is able to get out of it by dumping Ronda over the top rope to the outside. We get medics checking on Shayna, who's sitting in the corner, and Ronda's getting very frustrated. Throws them aside, so even though we don't have a DQ in this match, she's just getting it away with it and letting it fly. Shayna then gets that baby face fire, stands up, looks Ronda right in the eye, demanding to fight, and both women are just going at it. After a German suplex, Shayna gets the Kirafuda clutch locked in. Ronda counters that into an armbar. Shayna is able to transition into an ankle lock, but Ronda slides into a rear naked choke. The finish sees Ronda try to go for a step up flying armbar, but Shayna was able to get the Kirafuda clutch in. Ronda is trying to fight out of it, but passes out, ending the match by technical knockout in 7 minutes 30.
This match stands out definitely for the different presentation. It's one of those things that I was looking forward to, hopefully that we would get, and they actually did deliver. With all the conjecture about giving women more opportunities that's going on in WWE and AEW right now, it was good to shine a special spotlight on the women here and on this match in particular. And really the redemption story for Shayna and her winning seemed like the right move, right? With inklings of Ronda's contract being up as well, Shayna going over more than likely was the right call. It gives Shayna a big win. It gives her some momentum going forward, and it's great to see that Ronda put over her friend potentially on the way out as well. And the crowd, once again, was quiet throughout, perhaps not knowing what to make of it like I mentioned earlier, but absolutely did cheer when Shayna won. So what's next for these women? What's next for these ladies? In terms of what's next for Shayna, definitely let's capitalize on her winning and beating Ronda here. Uh, we can perhaps be the next challenger for Rhea Ripley and the Women's World Championship. You know, they have a history all the way going back to NXT where Rhea defeated Shayna to win the NXT Women's Championship. So with no other obvious challengers for Rhea, this may actually be a good direction for WWE to go in to have Shayna look to go after the belt that Rhea holds. For Ronda, if this is indeed the end of her contract, let her have some time off. Let her be with her family. Let her be with the husband. Let her be with the kid. And, you know, if she wants to come back for a one-off like the Royal Rumble or a potentially short run or feud with someone like uh, Rhea Ripley, which would be fantastic, I certainly would not be mad at that at all. be cool to see a likes of a Rhea and a Ronda lock up and go at it, so that would be certainly an interesting one, even if it's a short feud, but yeah, let Rhonda do uh, what she wants, let, if she wants to have time off, let her do that, if she wants to come back, yeah, feel free, let's line up something for her, and definitely let's capitalize on Shayna's victory here, so really cool match, something different, hey, Variety's of Spice of Life was, uh, was definitely digging this one, it was a cool ending to see Shayna win. All right, that next matchup here, Gunther takes on Drew McIntyre for the Intercontinental Championship. A standoff between both men begin the match. They have a slow start with some shoulder blocks and headlocks before getting into some stiff-looking shots. On the outside, Gunther back suplexes Drew onto the ring steps, which sounded and looked very nasty. We get back in the ring, Drews tries to make a comeback, but Gunther drops Drew with a vicious chop. Not often that you get to see Drew just being taken out with a single chop, but of course, like everybody knows, Gunther's chops are just something else and otherworldly. Both men start trading clotheslines before Drew takes a German suplex. However, he gets right back up and lays Gunther out with a stiff clothesline. McIntyre goes for and misses a Claymore. Gunther lands a shotgun dropkick on Drew into the corner. McIntyre counters a powerbomb with a powerbomb of his own into a Future Shock DDT for a two. Gunther rolling to the outside. Drew ends up hitting that patented tope over the ropes 
to Gunther on the outside. Rolls him back in the ring, Drew looks to land a Claymore once again, but gets intercepted by yet another dropkick from Gunther. Straight into a powerbomb on Drew, but only gets a two. Gunther making his way up to the top rope, hits a splash, only to get another close pinfall. So Drew is just not letting Gunther have it easy right here. Both men exchange loud chops in the center of the ring, just going for broke, lighting each other up, and there's just ridiculousness, much to the delight of the crowd. Drew finally hits that Claymore he's been looking for most of the match, but a slow cover leads to Gunther kicking out. So, fortunately, Drew McIntyre was not able to seal the deal there. However, the finish of the match sees Drew and Gunther positioned on the ropes in the corner. A failed lift by Drew leads to both men trading shots on one another. Drew gets pushed off, landing groin first on the top rope. Gunther hits a top rope splash immediately into a clothesline and powerbomb on Drew for the pinfall win in 1340. As far as this match itself, you know, it seemed fine. I didn't really have any, you know, critiques or anything like that in terms of the of the match and the quality and things as such, but honestly, both men lit each other up with some stiff chops and got the crowd excited. You know, it's something we mentioned on the previous episode that the build to this match was really lackluster. Drew ended up being away filming a movie in Hungary, and that match would have just been a hard-hang affair nonetheless, regardless. But while the match was just two big meaty men slapping meat, honestly, it just it seemed like it lacked intensity, which is sounds like a contradiction, but I think it was more of the match was just so vicious and hard-hitting, but we really didn't have the bill to understand and be solidified going into it is probably the point that I'm leaning into. On commentary, they mentioned that this was Drew and Gunther's first singles match against one another in any promotion at any time. So perhaps the lack of reps with one another, maybe Drew being away from WWE, maybe that match beginning with a slow standoff. It seemed like a bit of stop and start. Like they hit a few moves, they'd hit a few strikes, and then they'd slow it down or stop. So they do that, and then they get back up, and they kind of rinse, wash, repeat. So it's one of those that had like a weird rhythm to the match itself, if I could probably pinpoint where I'm leaning towards. Now, by all means, I'm not saying that the match was bad, or was it disappointing by any stretch of the imagination. It just seemed like the match could have been built up better. It would have felt, you know, like it complete, I guess, if that makes sense. It would have just rounded out why and how and what these men are fighting, as opposed to we had a match at WrestleMania that also included Sheamus. I lost. I came back. I've been away for a while, but let's do this thing. So, I mean, it's enough for a match, but I don't know. It could have been a little bit more, perhaps, something to go. Again, with Drew being away, it had this real kind of stop and start feeling. In terms of what's next for both men, if Drew's filming commitments are done, uh, although I'm not sure the status with the writers and the actors strike currently going on right now, but I'd like to see Drew come back and just have some solid matches on WWE TV. 
We don't necessarily need more tag matches with Drew and Matt Riddle, but get him on the winning streak so he could eventually face the World Heavyweight Champion perhaps down the line. Wouldn't be a bad idea. Build up a strong contender for sure. On commentary, they mentioned Gunther is about 30 or so days away from beating Honky Tonk's record, so I can see him having his next defense on the Raw right before he actually hits the record. You know, of course, so that WWE can bring it up once again. They can add a little drama. You know, is the challenger going to beat the streak? But he gets defeated because, of course, Gunther is going to take that top spot in the record book. Come on now. Once he does break the record, this is Gunther, of course. Let's have a baby face. Just get the rub from beating Gunther here, the record-breaking champion. I don't know, the likes of a Chad Gable would be amazing to fill that roll and take the title off Gunther, uh, a bit of that Rubski and the push, a returning Johnny Gargano, I don't know, just off the top of my brain, an avenging Ricochet perhaps, I don't know, even throw a curveball like uh, Damian Priest win it. WWE is pushing the hell out of Judgment Day right now, so could be a solid consolation prize for Priest if he fails the cash-in down the road, perhaps, wouldn't be that bad. Honestly, all in all, Besides the build being a little meh, uh, let's just keep both Drew and Gunther looking strong going forward. All right, the next main event we're going to look at here is Seth Rollins taking on Finn Balor for the World Heavyweight Championship. Seth makes his way to the ring. He's wearing the same vest as he wore at SummerSlam 2016, the night Finn was injured in that Universal Championship match. Seth throws the vest at Finn, leading to Balor attacking Seth during the ring announcements and brawl before the bell rings. Once the bell finally rings, both men continue to take shots at one another, and as expected, they start with high-paced offense before Finn targets Seth's shoulder with an armbar, perhaps really looking to inflict some damage on Seth and make him suffer, much like the pain Balor suffered and experienced all those years ago. He was definitely playing up that angle and being personal all match. Finn continues to focus on the shoulder, transitioning into a Fujiwara armbar, which Rollins manages to get out of with the rope escape. Seth begins to make a comeback, including grabbing Finn by the beard, and hitting him with some headbutts before transitioning into some Kawada-style kicks and a discus clothesline for a two-count. After Falcon Arrow to Finn. Seth hits three tope suicidas on Finn on the outside in front of the announce desk. Finn gains some momentum once again, driving Seth's shoulder into the ring post. Finn gets a measure of revenge by hitting a buckle bomb on Seth into the barricade, getting that little bit of measure of revenge there. Finn continues to focus on the shoulder, getting Seth into an armbar, which Seth counters into a buckle bomb of his own. Seth lands a beautiful-looking frog splash, but only gets a two on Balor. Then counters a curb stomp attempt, hits a shotgun dropkick, lines Rollins up for a coup de gras. However, Seth jumps to meet Balor, hits the top rope suplex, tries to go for the falcon arrow, but Finn rolls into an inside cradle. Seth gets out of that and hits an insiguri, but gets met with a Pele kick as both men are down. After another back and forth, Finn misses a coup de gras, 
Seth hits a pedigree for a two. And of course, you knew that it was coming. At this point, Damien Priest makes his way to ringside with his Money in the Bank briefcase. A distracted Seth misses the curb stomp, and Balor rolls him up for a two. Seth gets Finn in a stack pin. However, when Balor kicks out, Damien Priest gets a shot in at Seth at the ropes. Finn hits a pedigree of his own, and Seth barely kicks out. And then, if Damien Priest wasn't enough, out comes the rest of Judgment Day, Rhea and Dominic in tow to run interference. Damien offers Finn the physical briefcase to attack Rollins with, but Balor is adamant about sticking to plan A. As they are arguing, Seth blindsides Damien on the apron, hits a stomp on Finn, and Finn barely kicks out. That was so close. Seth leaps off the top rope to take Damien Priest out on the outside near the entranceway, and then he ends up taking Dominic out with a super kick and a stomp of his own on the outside. Back in the ring, Finn hits a sling blade, shotgun drop kick, and a coup de gras that only gets another two count. As we see the finish of the match, Damien places the briefcase on the ring apron. Priest jumps up to distract the ref. Finn looks to retrieve the briefcase, but ends up getting curb stomped on it, with Seth scoring the pinfall win in 1830. Another solid match from both Finn and Rollins here. You can't deny that. It's really just feeling the intensity with the fast-paced offense, as well as this feud just really feeling personal with Finn attacking Rollins' shoulder. This was the intensity that I was kind of talking about that almost feels like it was missing from the Drew McIntyre-Gunther match, So, but you definitely saw it here. At some point, we knew Judgment Day were going to get involved in this match. It's raw side of the coin, much like the Bloodline on SmackDown. You're always going to have interference in these matches, so they're always going to come out there you're always going to see a Rhea Ripley or a Dominic or a Finn or a Damien really just run that interference on the ref so one of the other folks can just make harm to the opponent that the Finn, in this case, can get the easier time in terms of winning the match. But it didn't work out here, so thanks to be seen. If that's always the case, but you always know you're going to have interference in a Judgment Day match. To be honest, at least they waited for Damien to make his presence known toward the latter portion of the match, as opposed to maybe like teasing it earlier on. Uh, this definitely allowed Seth and Finn to shine within this match, so at least there was some reservations on WWE's part. But they went with the obvious tension between Balor and Priest. Of course, both wanting the World Heavyweight Championship, as this caused tension between the two men since Priest has won the briefcase at the last pay-per-view. This gives WWE an out of sorts. Honestly, with Finn didn't lose clean, you can make that argument. Balor can say that Seth only won because he hit the curb stomp on the briefcase. This can ultimately lead to a third championship match between Balor and Rollins. This also circles back to the tension between Finn and Damian which now leads to further distrust on Balor's side. So do we see Finn attack Priest because of this? 
Do we see Finn circle back to J.D. McDonough? We saw all those months back that Finn was scouting and eventually talking to J.D. backstage over the course of the number of months, like we mentioned. Could Finn want J.D.'s help in hurting Priest? Could be interesting little wrinkle in that. Honestly, or does Finn just say, hey, we need to change things up in the Judgment Day to help ease tensions? He brings JD into the fold. Maybe this is leading to Damien possibly leaving or being kicked out in the coming months. This little wrinkle here with Damien as a stable mate, with both he and Finn going after the World Heavyweight Championship, like we mentioned, circles back to all that tension. So remains to be seen what WWE is going to do there. But there's a lot of directions we can go in, honestly. So what's next for these guys? Seth can potentially run it back with Finn due to the interference by the Judgment Day, like I'd mentioned, or he can go on to another challenger. You know, if no one jumps out at the moment as an obvious choice, we can always obviously, like you said, run it back with Finn. Seth could continue to do that open challenge with someone developing out of that. You know, there's the likes of Shinsuke Nakamura has been showing some heel tendencies, so I wouldn't be mad if we got a match between those guys. You know, the open challenge that Seth is doing is definitely an opportunity for the likes of Shinsuke to get a title shot, so should be interesting, perhaps. There's a suggestion there. But in terms of Finn, like I said, that rematch is possible. WWE wants to go there. Uh, we can also tease more tension in the Judgment Day, leading to possible changes in the group, like I mentioned before. At the end of the day, let's just keep Finn active on Raw. Let's have some matches, maybe even challenging the babyface who eventually beats Gunther for the IC title. Like, that wouldn't be such a bad idea. I'd be good for that. So, overall, crazy high athletic match from both of these men. Seth coming away with the victory. More tension in the Judgment Day. Oh boy, let's see where it takes us. The next match we're going to look at here, the other main event we have here, the third one we're looking at, Asuka taking on Bianca Belair and Charlotte Flair for the WWE Women's Championship. As to be expected in a triple threat, one woman usually powders out to the outside so we can get some one-on-one -on -one action. Asuka is the first to do so. In this instance, allowing for a short stint of Bianca versus Charlotte. We then swap out Flair for Asuka, with Asuka getting in some stiff kicks on Ms. Belair. Charlotte breaks up a pin attempt and gets a German suplex for her troubles. Asuka hits both women with kicks before another German suplex takes Charlotte out of the ring. She recovers and hits a nice-looking crossbody from the top rope and takes over with chops on both opponents. We see a double natural selection and a double pin. Flair can only manage a two count. Big boot from Charlotte on Bianca, and a figure four temp is thwarted with a code breaker from Asuka leading to a triple down. Three-way slugfest breaks out, Bianca hitting a nice combination DDT neckbreaker on both opponents. A shoulder in the corner and 10 punches from Bianca to Charlotte then leads to a backbreaker on Asuka, followed up immediately with a spinebuster on Charlotte. Both women counter Bianca's handstand backflip moonsault with knees. 
A spear from Charlotte takes Bianca out of the ring. Asuka locks in the Asuka lock, and Bianca finally hits that handstand moonsault to break that up. Flair knocks both women to the outside and hits the Orihara moonsault on Bianca, and Asuka catches Flair with a kick to the head and then a top rope DDT back in the ring, but the pin is broken up by a recovering Bianca Belair. Bianca has Flair set up for the KOD. Charlotte escapes and hits an inside-out overhead belly-to-belly suplex. Asuka interferes, gets a quick pin attempt before locking in an armbar. Bianca hits Charlotte with a doctor bomb to free Flair from that armbar. And Asuka immediately gets Bianca in an Asuka lock. Flair smartly stacks both women up who are in that position for a pin, but they both kick out. Charlotte hits a nice-looking moonsault onto both women for a two. Bianca gets dumped to the outside and apparently hurts her knee. Asuka then hits a top rope superplex on Charlotte. We see Bianca being helped to the back by medical staff who were checking on her while Asuka and Charlotte were going at it. With Asuka locked in a figure eight, Bianca makes her way back into the ring and hits a 450 splash on a bridging flare, but Charlotte kicks out of that. Finish of the match sees Bianca and Flair trading shots on one another. Flair slaps the figure eight on the injured leg of Bianca. Asuka comes in and spits mist into the face of Charlotte to break up the submission. While still locked in the figure eight itself, Bianca dodges a kick and rolls up Asuka to win the match in 2045. Post-match, we see EO Sky running like a maniac down the aisleway. Bailey takes the Money in the Bank briefcase, takes out Charlotte and Asuka at ringside. Bianca is able to cut Bailey off, but EO attacks Bianca with the case herself. EO gives the case to referee Jessica Carr, cashing in her Money in the Bank contract, hits the moonsault off the top rope, pins Bianca, and wins the WWE Women's Championship in 8 seconds. After the match there, nice touch, Dakota Kai comes in to celebrate with Io and Bailey. Of course, the one-year anniversary of forming Damage Control at last year's SummerSlam, so it was nice to see Io and Dakota and Bailey all together, and with Dakota coming back to help celebrate with her. That was a really nice touch. In terms of the triple threat match, hard-fought match between these three competitors, each woman was able to get some time to shine in this one. Asuka with the strikes and the submissions. Flair with the moonsault on the outside and on the inside. Uh, Bianca hitting that 450 on Charlotte. As it goes with any triple threat match, you're going to have times where one person powders out so you can have some one-on-one -on -one action. It just seems to flow better, and the crowd is able to keep track of the action better that way. While each woman worked well with the other two competitors, they had numerous matches against one another for sure in the past. There were some really interesting spots that incorporated all three competitors together. The moonsault spots with Charlotte and uh, Bianca come to mind as well. But much like I said, just all around solid match from these three women here. Bianca winning for a moment gives her another championship reign, obviously, but with Io swooping in to take the title from her. This leads to multiple avenues that we can go down. So Bianca can go after Io for the title, 
as she was cashed in on. We can see a Charlotte wants revenge on Asuka for the mist, costing her the title. When she was seemingly about to win it, Asuka wanting revenge on Bianca for pinning her. WWE can go in multiple ways on this one. So what can we see next for these women here? Well, the injury can give Bianca some time off and away from WWE if indeed she needs it and she's legitimately injured. She can always come back and get revenge on Io, like we said, for the cash-in. Charlotte may just want to go after Asuka for costing her the win with the mist in the eyes. We could definitely see something like that. In terms of Asuka herself, we could likely see her continue to compete on SmackDown, I think would be the best option, obviously. Let's not have her disappear for weeks or months at a time like WWE has done in the past. Asuka is awesome. She's the utility player. She's definitely a plug and play. She can be slotted in anywhere. So let's keep her going and visible on SmackDown. In terms of Io, we can definitely see her potentially take on any one of the three women in this match, Asuka, Charlotte, or Bianca. You know, that would make for solid matches themselves and make sense that any one of those three or all three would be her first feud coming out of the gate as champion. But be that as it may, great match from these women here. Congrats on Io winning the championship and a solid performance from the women here. All right, and your final main event of the evening, Roman Reigns versus Jey Uso. This is, of course, tribal combat for the undisputed WWE Universal Championship and recognition as tribal chief. Before the match even started, I honestly appreciated that WWE did not try to gimmick up this match with doing tropical-themed ringside props, you know, the likes of torches, grass skirts, and the such. You know, this is tribal combat, but you don't need to make it tacky, which, at the end of the day, had they done that, it would have taken away from the seriousness of the match between Roman and Jay. Honestly, I'm just glad that they let the guys fight, which was for the best, and didn't try to gimmick it up. In terms of the match, we see a slow, methodical start. With a collar and elbow tie-up, Roman backs Jay into a corner to assert his dominance with a headlock and a shoulder tackle. Roman postures to the crowd after Let's Go Roman, Roman Sucks chants, exclaiming, Who sucks now? Roman is firmly in control early on with the slow pace emphasized with strikes on Jay. Jay is able to get some offense in with some rock-like punches, kick to the stomach, Jay sends Roman to the outside with a clothesline before nailing Reigns with a tope suicida. Jay throws Roman into the stairs, and after acknowledging the crowd, Jay sets up a table at ringside. However, back in the ring, Roman is back in control, throwing Jay's head backwards into the turnbuckle. It looked really rough. Reigns digs into the archive and hits a drive-by, but can only score a two-count. Jay mounts a little bit of offense, but Reigns introduces a kendo stick and begins to tee off on Jay Uso. Roman goes for a Superman punch. Jay cuts Roman off with the said kendo stick and lays in some shots, with Roman once again going to the outside. It's a tope over the ropes on Reigns this time. Jay goes for the Uso splash, but Roman cuts him off with a Superman punch. 
Jay gets out of the way of a spear, hits a super kick on Roman. Jay hits the Uso splash, but only gets a two. Jay grabs a chair from under the ring and hits Roman twice with it. Jay proceeds to grab numerous chairs and tosses them into the ring. He props Roman on the top rope, and Roman's fighting off a superplex attempt. Jay tries to go for a Hurricane Rana instead, but Reigns able to wriggle out, grabs Jay, and power bombs him into the stack of chairs. Roman sets up a table of his own in the corner of the ring. Both men end up trading shots just above the table Jay set up at ringside. Jay gets the better of Reigns, hits a Samoan drop through the table on the outside from the ring apron. Looked like a really rough landing for Roman and Jay. Jay finds a leather strap from under the ring just, you know, because, and brutally whips Roman with it. They make their way through the crowd. We see Solo Sokoa put Jay through a table near the camera well, so we get that classic bloodline interference already started. Solo drags Jay back to the ring, where he ends up hitting a spinning Solo in the middle of the ring. Solo and Roman go for a combination Samoan spike and spear, but Jay pulls Solo in the line of fire. Jay then hits a spear of his own on Roman, only for a two count. With a chair in hand, Jay wails on Solo and Roman. Looking to strike Roman once again on the outside, Solo cuts Jay off with a super kick. Roman, who is distracted by Solo, who ends up arguing with Solo Sokoa himself over possible dissension and maybe wanting to hit Roman with the Samoan spike, Roman ends up getting speared through the timekeeper's barricade by Jay. Solo looking to put Jay through the announce table, but Jay counters with a super kick, which leads to Jay ultimately splashing Solo through that announce desk. Back in the ring, spear on Roman, hits an Uso splash, but gets pulled out of the ring by a hooded figure, who turns out to be Jimmy Uso. Jay stares in bewilderment, wondering why his twin brother would betray him. Jimmy nails his brother Jay with a super kick, throws him back in the ring. Roman spears Jay through the table in the corner and wins by pinfall in 3605. Oh man, this was definitely an emotional battle between cousins, between brothers, between family, right? You could feel how personal it was with Jay's intensity. He was trying to dethrone Roman for control of the Anawai family as tribal chief. You also take the undisputed WWE Universal Championship away from Roman. You could definitely feel the intensity and how personal it was, much like Finn and Seth's match that we had earlier. You saw just how brutal things can get with some of the chair shots on Roman, with the whip shots. Jay took as good as he gave as well, to be fair, getting powerbombed into those chairs and going through multiple tables. But perhaps the most painful of all, the emotional pain of being betrayed by your twin brother. Jimmy turning against him and costing Jay not only the championship, not only the title of tribal chief, but costing him family as well. You know, this is a bloodline match, so we knew at some point there was going to be interference, like I mentioned earlier which of course Solo provided 
But interestingly enough, we did not get a ref bump, a staple of Roman Reigns matches over the course of the last couple years. So nice to play with the formula there. But be that as it may, seemingly by yet another plot device, Roman comes away with the victory on this one. Fun, solid match between both men. You had the violence, you had the playing to the crowd, you had the betrayals. All of these things you need to satiate your sports entertainment feels, if you will. So where do we go from here for the likes of the bloodline? Most likely we're going to hear from Jimmy perhaps on the next SmackDown or the following week. He's going to explain his motives for turning on his brother Jay. You know, it makes me think that it'll be something like, I'm the older brother. I should be the right-hand man, the next in line. I should be the next tribal chief. You can't have it. It has to be mine. You know, something like that. That probably seems like the most logical aspect of it. Solo will seemingly continue to be by Roman's side. That makes the most sense. We have a little sprinkling of the wildness that Solo has mixed in. You know, as Roman and he had that stare down and conversation at ringside, so we could... Smell a little dissension going forward with him, perhaps leading to a solo breaking away from Roman at some point. Jay will seek answers from his brother Jimmy. Eventually, they'll get a match between the two. You know, feels like a Survivor Series type of thing in November. The Bloodline storyline seemed to drag on, so remains to be seen how fast we get the explanation from Jimmy and how WWE decides to either have Jimmy play a running out little scared heel, or does he go right after Jay? We'll kind of see how WWE decides to play it, and that'll dictate how fast that potential match between the two brothers will happen. As for Roman, most likely we'll have one more match, realistically at the Saudi show in November. Uh, and then it's on to Royal Rumble and then kicking into the road to WrestleMania. That's more than likely that. Roman's had a lot of matches so far this year in the early portion. So not to say that he has a limited number of dates, but, you know, sometimes that doesn't work for me, brother. So realistically, we'll have that one appearance at the Saudi show, and that's it for Roman for the year, more than likely. And that about ends the pay-per-view there. We leave with an emotional Jay just distraught over Jimmy turning on him and him losing to Roman. So we're left with that image and Roman being victorious, walking up the ramp, still tribal chief, still undisputed WWE Universal Champion. There's the pay-per-view. It was decent. Decent pay-per-view overall. You know, we had some predictable outcomes. We had some surprises. Not the greatest SummerSlam, but certainly not the worst. You know, it was a decent pay-per-view. I know a lot of folks were clamoring for what happened to the Becky-Trish thing. Why didn't Rhea Ripley have a match on the pay-per-view? Those are all fair observations and fair criticisms, but we ended up just deciding to go with the eight matches that we had. A little bonus, a little Brucey bonus, if we will of having the cash-in from EO to give us a ninth match. But yeah, we ended up having about eight, went about four hours or so, maybe four hours and change. So decent time for pay-per-view. And yeah, like I said, 
decent overall. So those were our thoughts on the fallout from SummerSlam. Let us know down in the comment section below on YouTube or hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, and let us know what your thoughts are on the matches themselves, the winners, the losers. Did your favorites win? Did something else happen? Were you shocked by the surprise betrayal at the end? Let us know your thoughts in the comments down below. All right, that about wraps it up for me flying solo today. Lots of interesting matchups during the pay-per-view in SummerSlam. Like I said, some predictable outcomes with interference being in a Bloodline Roman Reigns match, but we did get a surprise there at the end, the shocking betrayal. We got some predictability in there, so... We got weird matches, that battle royale, why was that on there? Who knows? Somewhere, somewhere down the line, that is somebody's favorite match. I'm not mad that LA Knight won, but perhaps, like we said, other matches could have been in that place. But like I said, notwithstanding, overall, decent pay-per-view. We'll see where they go for the Raw and the SmackDown rosters going forward into the next pay-per-view. Payback, if I'm not mistaken. I'm sure, we'll cover that when that fast approaches. So, those have been our thoughts on SummerSlam. Appreciate everybody watching. Appreciate everybody listening. Real Pal PT flying solo here. Thank you so much for giving this show a chance. We're going to get on out of here. So, for me, Pretty Tony, we thank you for your time and letting us be a part of your day. And remember, be good to yourself, be good to each other, and we will catch you next time. Peace.